Welcome to Lessons from Leaders. I am your host, Lynn Gilliland of Lynn Gilliland Consulting, and this is a podcast for executives and for anyone who wants to be a great leader. Today's guest is Maureen Dwyer. She's the executive director for Sitar Arts Center based in Washington, D.C. And in this episode, we talk about three things. We talk about the five non-negotiables of leaders. We talk about advice Maureen got from others that she has um, applied in her leadership. And one is about rubber balls and and crystal balls. And the third thing is things that she knows now that she wished she knew back when she was a uh, up and coming um, leader. It's a great episode and let's go to it. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to Lessons from Leaders. We are here with Maureen and I've already told you about her. She is the executive director for the Sitar Arts Center and she herself was a performing artist. So how she went from being a performing artist, how you went, Maureen, from being a performing artist to running an organization, you'll have to tell us. But before we go there, welcome to Lessons from Leaders. I'm so glad that you could make time to be with us. Thank you, Lynn. I'm really honored to be invited to participate in the conversation. And um, what an esteemed list of leaders you've you've already talked to. So it's quite an honor to be part of that list. Thank you. And this is, a, as which I've already told you, but for the listeners, all the guests were referred by other guests. So a, one of our podcast guests wanted to hear Maureen's story, her leadership story. So that is why she is here. She has been referred to us as an exceptional leader. And so Maureen, just to start with, how are you doing right now? These are, we're in the beginning of 2021. How are you and your organization faring right now? We are doing as well as can be expected. Um, In all honesty, it is a challenging period of time. We're located in Washington, D.C., and last week was January 6th, which is a day that will live in infamy for our nation, sadly. And it really hits quite close to home when your entire community is living in Washington, D.C., where the violence and the riot took place. However, we have a community that really brings hope. There is something very joyful and exploratory and connecting about the arts that is really irreplaceable. So I do feel that this time has reinforced for us how essential our mission is, our work is, our community. And I think those of us who are part of Sitar Center's community are just ready to go we are we are gearing up to make sure that this world is safe for our kids and how for so for now like how do you lead through let's say the events of january 6 what do you find that you need to bring forth um for not for your for your team your staff but also for your whole community you're that you're reaching out to well the day of actually the day is leading we started thinking is there anything we need to do for safety specifically? And it didn't seem as if the city was really gearing up in a, in a way that alarmed us. So we really were just operating as usual because of the pandemic. Right now our programming is online. So the, the team doesn't go into the office on a regular basis. 
However, as, as it so happens, next week starts our programming session. We provide multidisciplinary arts programs for children and teens in D.C. who otherwise wouldn't have access. And as it happens, January 6th was the day that we scheduled for the families, the parents to come and pick up all of the supplies needed for the programming for, for the following session. So about midday, we did call it and I asked the staff to please go home early to call the families and cancel them we'll postpone. I just didn't want any any chance that something could happen uh, while while people were walking to and from the center. Many of the families walk to us. Uh, many of our staff have to take the metro. So we just decided to pause and have everyone return home safely. And I think it, I think it was the right call. I'm, I'm glad we decided to do that. As in terms of responding, really just being there. We're, we're discussing whether we need to hold a forum for, for the kids or the parents. However, the art provides a forum in and to itself. So a lot of it just comes out through process. And we wrote a letter to the community, just not really making a political statement or claiming to fix ever, anything, just, just reiterating what we do. We're here for, to be a community of support, um, really, just thanking our community for the hope and joy they bring to us, offering to those residents of DC who are seeking community that we're always here for them. So that was really our response that we need to use this, this time to, to remember how we're alike as well as different and to unify. And so what about you though? What do you as the leader need to be modeling or you know, what's the behaviors or the, if you were a, uh, if we, you were a lake and we threw a pebble in and the ripples that went out from you, what would be those ripples? That it's okay to not feel okay. I think mm -hmm. allowing the space for my colleagues to express their anxiety or their concern to lead the way by doing that myself, you know, in a calm and a measured fashion so as not to worry about any not to worry others however to make it clear that this is a place where you can um really own what you're experiencing and seek some support in it so that's the way i've approached it and that's the approach i've tried to take this in the entire year of 2020 since we had to shut our doors for the pandemic and then into the the really horrific experience for our kids and families who are primarily black and brown and their experience of the aftermath after George Floyd was murdered. It's really just to keep saying, it's okay not to feel okay. How can we help you to feel better? And so that's a practice for yourself then too. It's okay not to feel okay. It's a practice for your staff. It's okay not to feel okay. And why is that important that it's okay not to feel okay? I think it's important in developing genuine relationships and trust. If people can't bring who they are to work then I think important pieces go missing and important contributions to the overall team. Of course, it's a balance. You know, you have to, it's okay to not be okay, but you have to keep going. As the leader, you can't 
stop going. So I think it's a balance of pausing, allowing time, sharing how you're feeling, but then also talking and sharing and giving strategies to, to keep going and to keep working because we have a really important, we do really important work. The work we do is vital. So in order for our community to be okay, we have to find a way to move ahead and move forward regardless of how we're feeling. I really like that so much that not just it's okay not to feel okay and we're still going to go forward. We can still go forward and take action and keep moving even though we don't feel okay. To me, that's very powerful. It's like accepting what is that we're not always feeling okay and yet we, we don't have to wait. We still can and must take action. I really like that framing quite a bit. I think it's hard, especially now when I feel an urgency more than ever to, to continue our mission in a very challenging space and to push forward and to balance that with all, all of what my colleagues are experiencing. It's hard because sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to push too much like we got to go we got to do this we got to do this and I've been trying to help myself to step back and make sure that it's enough motivation without anyone feeling unduly mm. stressed or able to step back that's a balancing act I always like walking that tightrope yeah because right. my my go-to is to not step back it's like okay let's go let's do this um not in all areas of my life but in work <laughs> I also, you and I, when we talked before, you were telling me about leadership non-negotiables, and I wrote them mm. down. Do you remember what they are? Would you like me to read them to you, or do you remember? I think I remember, but g- give, me, give me, maybe read them to me. That would be good, just so I make listen, sure I cover. Listen before you decide. Be willing to change your mind. I really love them. Learn. Concern for the people that are working for you is non-negotiable leading with and for the people. Those are what I have. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's right. And the only one I would add to that is that there's no one right way to lead. And I say that to people who feel there's a, a way to conform or there's one way to be a leader because I didn't envision myself in a leadership role or in an executive role. It, it happened in my life rather organically. It was more a matter of a call to the work. And I don't think I met the definition in the box of what a leader is. So I've been doing it for 10 years, <laughs> you know, and then we've grown and we've su- succeeded in a lot of ways and struggled in other ways. And I think that's something I wish I had known that, you don't have to look or act or feel one way to be effective. There are many, many ways to lead strongly. And you could lead from any position in your organization. You really can just by owning it and always seeking to do it better. So one bit is anybody can be leading no matter where you sit. And, right. and the other bit, which I also want to underline is if what I make up is that you looked at uh, at leaders and you said, oh, that's not me uh, because of my makeup, the profession that I'm in, that would not be my trajectory. And that, so if I'm getting it, you're saying that 
throw that out. You know, there's not one way, one way to lead, not one kind of person, not one trajectory to get you there. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I, I, I think that's right. I, uh, you know, one of my mentors was the founder of Sitar Arts Center, who I worked with since the very beginning, since shortly after she incorporated the organization. And she had told me early on, oh, I see you someday, you know, leading the organization. And I just laughed. <laughs> and, and and she and I are so different in our approach to, to leadership. It's surprised that she even saw that in me um but she saw it in me before i saw it myself so so if you're hearing it externally but not internally you know maybe listen listen both ways inward outward journey <laughs> i have talked to so many women and not all women leaders but many women leaders have told me that someone else said to them i see this in you and they're like who me so that's not an uncommon story. I have heard it less with men leaders. I'm sure that it's true, but um, mm. for some of them, I just, they don't talk about it perhaps. I think that's a vulnerability that's uncomfortable. Uh, well, just because of the way we're nurtured, it's more uncomfortable for men than women. And you and I also talked about what courage has to do with being a leader. What do you think courage has to do with being a leader? I think courage has to do with doing what you're afraid to do or doing what you feel unqualified to do, but doing it anyway because it needs to be done. Always adapting and learning. C courage means not I'm not saying I can't. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to say I won't, and that's for very good and measured reasons, but I really have had to learn not to say I can't, because of course you can, and things will be very uncomfortable, and things won't match the way you wish your day could go, or mm -hmm. the, the choices you would like to make. The choices can be very, very hard. I think courage is making the right choice rather than the comfortable choice. And then the other bit that you talked about was being uncomfortable. There's like increasing your tolerance for being uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. I feel that most of my time as a leader, I don't want to say I'm, I'm always uncomfortable, but I, there's a lot of stretching and a lot of having to look around the corner and and leap into faith that what you see around the corner is right. Um, so I think there is a lot of discomfort, but a good it's often a good discomfort, like when, when you stretch your muscles in yoga and, it, you know, it hurts a little, but it feels so good. I think, I think a lot of it is very satisfying. And then a lot of it's just, I really wish someone else would make this decision and just do it. <laughs> but you do it anyway. <laughs> Is some of the uncomfortableness around, like, making a mistake or looking bad or feeling incompetent? I'm, look, look at all these lovely words I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me it's less about making mistakes because I firmly believe mistakes are how you learn. Uh, it's one of the beauties of art is is you could take risk and you can make mistakes and you could redo. And sometimes your best production comes out of a mistake uh, or not an, an, a, 
you didn't intend to do it. For me, it's the people part. Um, I'm very uncomfortable when I have to make other people uncomfortable mm -hmm. or when I have to do things that I think is hard for somebody or, you know, you're in the position where you hire and fire people, which are both really heartbreaking, you know, events if, if for the other person, if they're not hired or if they are fired. And it's very hard for me to feel someone else's pain and feel that it came directly from me um, or push somebody past where they think they can go, which is good, too, because that helps them to grow. But in the moment, and this year especially, there's been a lot of pushing. You know, we just got to do it. <laughs> so I think that is when, when I get uncomfortable. And how do you get yourself there then? How do you go into that uncomfortable place? By reminding myself um, what's best for the mission and the young people that, that we're here for. You know, the young people that we work with that sitar have a lot of life challenges um, are in many ways marginalized and it's my job to always be looking at an organization that can uphold their path to adulthood in the best way possible and make possibilities for them which sometimes means not being able to be the the right place for someone to work or for somebody to volunteer or for somebody to teach and and that's just the reality so i think going back or, or having to report that you suspect abuse with a child all you know it's just you have to keep going back to what's best ultimately you hope for the kids so it's the keeping connected to the purpose yes the purpose and that's then, a much more succinct way of saying it than i did <laughs> you said it i just pulled it out a little bit yeah let me just think so so you've had you've had a challenging time this year going virtual probably having funding well going virtual just in itself would have been immense since all of your you you have clients you have people that your stakeholders that you're working with, how to do that virtually, and then your funding challenges. Um, probably, I'm guessing, the going virtual was budgetary considerations that you hadn't thought of, right? Absolutely. What are you hoping we for? Yeah, go. you talk about that, please. Just in terms of realizing you needed to adapt immediately and that requires resources and Sitar Art Center is a relatively small I mean we're not very small but we're not huge we're, our, our budget's a couple million and it's almost entirely contributed through, through different sources of revenue so to just leap ahead and change even though you're absorbing unanticipated costs that's very scary but um, but we did it, and our community stood by us. We we asked, and they stood by us and supported it financially as well as um, emotionally and and caring and nurturing. So so that was good. But I felt like you were going to ask something else. So then I was going to move to the twenty twenty one. What is your your hope or your vision for this year? Well, very much want to be back 
in live programming and it's frustrating because I feel like that that needle keeps moving back in the wrong direction. You know, I thought by this point we would really be thinking about being in person in spring. And then of course the vaccine was hopeful, but now it's not being disseminated in an efficient manner. And I do not, I, I mean, we're hoping to have modified in-person programming in the summer, and then we're going to have to do both um, virtual and uh, live programming. So it's um, it's challenging, but my hope is very much that we can get back to in-person programming, and also we can continue our trajectory. We're in a in a rather rapid growth period, and we're looking very seriously about acquiring additional space for this growth. And I'd really like to get back to to that path you know to and it's we've never stopped it we've kept it going alongside the urgent adapt path but i'd really like to get back to to that strategic path well good luck with that i know it will happen maybe you. like you said earlier maybe not as though in the time frame that you hoped but it will happen and just what would you if you you had a little bit of advice for your younger self, which you mentioned earlier. What other advice, if you look back at your younger self, what advice, what do you wish you knew now, well, that you know now that you wish you knew then, or what advice would you have given your younger self? Ooh, so many things. I think I remember before I became executive director, I sought advice from, from current executive director. And the two pieces that stuck with me the most was one, your relationships are your currency. Mm. And it's really, really true in the, in the most beautiful of ways. You know, that, that sounds as if it's taking advantage of people, but instead it's really your relationships are, uh, it's the give and take of how you can support one another and get the work done. And that was told to me, so I would want younger or newer leaders to hear that also. And the other was some some balls are rubber and some are glass. Mm -hmm. And what I would have told my younger, my, my newer leader self is a lot less of them are glass than you think. <laughs> you know, that, that a lot of the balls can fall and not break. And there are some that you absolutely have to catch. I feel as if it's the tyranny of the urgent. And when you're a new leader, you're feeling like everything someone else thinks is urgent becomes urgent to you. And I would have said, really assess. And instead of absorbing the energy of that person's urgency, make sure it's back to purpose. Is it urgent for our purpose? Is it urgent for the whole? I think I would just go home a lot feeling like, ah, there's so many urgencies that I have to fix immediately. And it just takes a while to weed through that. I, I wish I had gotten to that point earlier. That, make, that makes me think of it's like a, bring your leadership wand or antenna to it. Like it don't, if others people are putting the urgent on it, don't assume that it's urgent. Bring your own discernment to it. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is it, a, right. is it rubber or is it a glass ball? Can I just lay it down or? 
yeah, not be pushed around by the winds. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of recovery from things. Mm. I think we can recover and we can fail and something really beautiful can come out of that failure if, if, if you let it. If you use the broken to more as an opening to grow something different. I love that. That's, that's so fabulous. I love the imagery of using the broken to bring out something more fabulous. Anything else that you uh, would like, you were hoping to talk about here that we haven't touched on? Hmm. I don't know. It's been an, it's been, it's been such a year. <laughs> I think a lot of things are real for me that I have to confront that weren't, that isn't the same as it was. And I think in our world and this day and age, a lot of it is what does it mean to be a white leader? And what is my role in making more leadership, making leadership more just and equitable and available? And I think, I think that's going back to the listening. I think sometimes as a white leader, my job is to shut up and listen, um, invite other perspective. And I'm lucky that my senior team is really diverse and just remember that you don't know it all and be quiet and listen. And maybe that's the path to, to helping leadership become more equitable and have different perspectives that are essential. I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering, uh, since all of your clients, most of your clients are black and brown people, and mm -hmm. you're not, or at least it doesn't seem that you are, um, how, that, how, you, how you work with that, how you, how you balance that out. Yes, I, well, one is just making sure that our leadership is very reflective of our community, which has been easy to do because, you know, Washington, D.C. is, is an incredibly diverse and educated place. And there's many, many leaders of all races, ethnicities, background, ready to, to take charge and, um, and keep asking the question. You know, I've asked alum how they feel about it. And, and they are like, hey, you know, you are always interested in getting to know us and believing in us and trying to provide opportunity. We're, we're fine with that. So I think if that answer starts to become differently, then it might be a case of, well, maybe it is time for the next leader. In this. Maybe I need to find leadership somewhere else. Um, but I think asking, asking the question. So it comes back to the non-negotiables, listening, uh, listening, being willing to change your mind, learning, all of the non-negotiables that we mentioned that you were talking about earlier. Right. Those. Great. Well, Maureen, thank you so much for coming. Um, it's like a really interesting week to be talking to you because this is the first week of 2020. One, 
and uh, there's so much going on and, and you're right there in some ways on the front lines with, with the people that you work with. So I, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate you and, and your work. Thank you.